Thank you, Pastor Andrew. Wow, it's so good to be with you. I feel like uh, I know a secret. Uh, I went to, I, I told several people that I was speaking at Orangeville Baptist Church this morning, and uh, almost everyone that I told said, Orangeville Baptist Church, where is Orangeville? I feel like I'm in the know, right? I feel like I'm special. Like I'm, I'm one of the few people in the world that knows that there is an Orangeville, Michigan, and that there is an Orangeville Baptist Church in Orangeville, Michigan. And uh, uh, actually, uh, my wife and I pastored in Holland, Michigan for about 21 years, so we're very familiar with your church. And, and uh, 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 new Pastor uh, Bowman and uh, uh, getting to know Pastor Andrew. And so thank you, Pastor Andrew, for allowing uh, us to come and to visit and to share a little bit about ABWE and also um, the Word of God this morning. So it's our delight to be with you. Uh, about four, four years ago, my wife and I made a transition from 30 years of pastoral ministry. Uh, we had been involved in pastoral ministry, but we had been doing missions that whole time in one form or another. And God transitioned us to the leadership of uh, ABWE. And uh, as you might imagine, that was a substantial change uh, in, in our work and focus in ministry, but it has been a delight. We get to serve on a team of over a 1,000 missionaries that are serving in 70 different countries uh, and about 120 different teams. And that includes countries everywhere from uh, the United States to countries, and I shared this in the Sunday School Hour, countries that I won't even name for you, but countries that would be in places like perhaps could be, there might be some in Southeast Asia. I'm not confirming that, I'm not denying that, but there may be missionaries that are in places that it would be actually illegal uh, to share the good news of the gospel uh, with the purpose of converting someone. I'm not saying that we have missionaries there you may or may not see that in, on the website. Um, I'm just saying that if we did, uh, boy, I sure wish you'd pray for them. Um, are you getting my drift? Am I, am I, okay. All right. So, uh, um, so we, we love serving these teams. Um, God is blessing us. Uh, Pastor Andrew prayed and thanked the Lord for the 82 new missionaries that we've seen launched from a candidate class this year, this last year. And we've already sent 15 this year, and we're looking forward to two more classes that uh, we've got coming up. And so God is doing a cool thing in the midst of COVID, and, uh, and we're excited to be a part of it. And so we're grateful that uh, we get to partner with you. Although we have 1,000 missionaries, ABWE has never sent one missionary. You send missionaries as the local church. And it's our role to come alongside of you and to support you and to serve you as you send your missionaries. To serve your, uh, the, the people that you're sending out, we want to serve them and, and care for them and, and provide resources and things that they need, platforms that they need to do ministry well. So that is our delight. Martha and I love doing that and love being a part of it. And we love uh, being a part of spurring people on towards missions as well. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. What I want to talk about is this. I think this church, because I know this church well enough, I'm going to skip the message on the Great Commission. 
I don't know if that's okay with you, Pastor Andrew, but I'm gonna, I think that, um, that this church is familiar with the command that Jesus gave out of his authority, all authority has been given to him, Jesus declared, um, that we have been commanded to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. Are, are we familiar with that command? Okay, I, I, I anticipated that we might be familiar with that. That is the goal of missions. Disciples from every nation. But what's the enemy of missions? Have you thought of that? What is the enemy? Of, if, if the goal is disciples from every nation, what is the enemy of missions? I would submit to you it's not a lack of money. And this is why I said... ABWE had her best financial year in the history, 94 years we've been around, best financial year in history during a pandemic, okay? I don't think the enemy of missions is a lack of money. No, we still, we still need money, okay? So, so please continue supporting your missionaries, okay? But that's not the enemy. And I would say this, the enemy of missions is not a pandemic, we have found that ministries have been able to thrive and, and some of them are finding incredible new opportunities that didn't even exist a year ago because of a pandemic. A pandemic is not the enemy of missions. I would also say this, um, dictators in countries that have closed their doors to the gospel I don't think that's the enemy of missions because we know that persecution in these countries, we know that there are, are, in countries like Iran and North Korea, we know that there are things happening within the church that is good for the church and that the church is growing even in the midst of persecution. Dictators are not the enemy. Actually, dictators sometimes become purifiers of the church. And I don't even think false religion, Islam, Hinduism, animism, I don't think that's the enemy of missions. I want to submit to you this morning, I, I believe that the enemy of missions, I want you to track with me here. Before I tell you what it is, I think mission speakers have a hard job. I'm, I'm a mission speaker. And, and my... Traditionally, we're wanted for two things. We're, we're wanted, one, to put the church on a guilt trip, like, you know, do more for missions, right? Um, or, or two, we need to, you know, give you statistics and things that teach you about, you know, that there are, one, there are 3.14 billion people on this planet that don't have any access to the gospel at all, and, and, and we share statistics like, and that's not my goal this morning. I, I just want you to know, my goal this morning is not for you to um, have a guilt trip and leave here guilty about not engaging in missions, and I don't want to bore you with statistics this morning. What I want to do for you this morning is kind of what um, 
I don't know when it started, but at some point in my life, something happened to me. And what happened was this. In the morning, um, the first the first little rays of light that hit my eyes does something to me. It awakens something in me. I, when, I was in te- when I was a teenager, I could sleep into all hours of the day. You know, two o'clock in the afternoon, man, I'm still in bed, okay? Something happened to me somewhere. Now, as soon as this, my, my wife will tell you it drives her crazy. As soon as it's light out, as soon as the first rays of light start peeking through our window, something within me awakens and I begin thinking, hey, I'm missing out on something. There's something going on that I'm not a part of. It's, just, it's light out. There are people awake. There's somebody, it's five o'clock in the morning, my wife says to me. I'm like, no, somebody's awake somewhere because it's light out. And so something awakens in me and all of a sudden my adrenaline will get pumping. I'll start getting hot. If I lay in bed like covered up, I'll start getting hot and I'll be thinking, I was like, I've got to do this today. I've got to do that today. And I wish I could turn it off. But there's something that awakens in me. And church, I just want to tell you this morning, my goal for you is not to guilt you or to give you statistics this morning. My goal is simply this. I have been asking the Lord from early this morning till now for the Lord to awaken something in us in regards to the Great Commission. in regards to what I think is the enemy of missions. And I believe the enemy of missions is a lack of urgency. Think of the word urgency. Urgency, it has the the word urge in it, right? Urge is something within you that that kind of drives you or impels you to something, right? Uh, If you have an urge of hunger, right, it impels you to to get some food. You know, if you have an urge of thirst, there's there's this thirst urge within your throat. It will drive you to pursue water and, and, and in order to get water to quench your thirst. And the thirstier you are, the more urgency there is within you, Correct? Church, I believe that the enemy of missions is a lack of urgency when it comes to the Great Commission. And this passage in Mark, in Matthew chapter 9 is a passage that I love because it's one of those passages that gives us a glimpse into Jesus' heart. I don't know about you, but I love passages where, uh, I love stories, I love narrative in the, in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, but I especially love passages where we get a glimpse into what Jesus was thinking. And this is one of those passages, okay? It's during a time in Jesus' ministry where great crowds were following Jesus. This is just, this is during the time when Jesus fed the 5,000. It's during the time where, where Jesus uh, cast out the demons out of the, uh, the man, uh, you know, on the other side of the lake. And he casts out the demons and, and all the cities hear about him and And so all of these crowds are following Jesus because he's healing them. And we're told actually in the passage here that he was healing every disease and every affliction. Traveling around, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But then the next verse here in in verse 36, this is where we see something that Jesus was thinking. And this is what I love because... 
Jesus says, we're told that when Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. So whenever I see a, a passage where Jesus is, where we have a glimpse into Jesus's heart and mind, I like to dissect it. The first thing that we're told by Matthew is that Jesus had compassion for the crowd. Now it's interesting that he uses the word compassion because Matthew could have used the word empathy. He could have said he had empathy for the crowd. You know what empathy is? Empathy is when you understand the feelings of another person, right? Uh, Matthew could have said this, Jesus saw the crowds and he understood what they were going through. Matthew could have also chosen the word um, sympathy, right? Sympathy is a, is a good thing for us to have. He could have said, Jesus saw the crowds and he had sympathy on him. That, that's understanding someone's feelings, but that's also sympathy is we feel another person's pain, right? In other words, uh, Matthew could have said, Jesus saw the crowds and he felt their pain. He understood their pain, empathy. He felt their pain, sympathy. But again, Matthew chose the word compassion. And it's interesting because the word compassion contains the idea of sympathy or empathy and understanding of someone's pain and awareness of their pain. It's a, a sympathizing or a feeling of someone's pain. But compassion adds the context of providing actions to relieve it. See, compassion is just empathy or sympathy unless... It carries with it actions to relieve the pain and suffering that we're aware of. And so as Jesus looks at this crowd, he is impelled. There is an internal thing within Jesus. There's something happening within his heart and within his mind to impel him to action. Not to just see the pain, not to just know that there's lost people out in a crowd, not just to see their faces or to understand their problems or to feel their pain and the broken relationships and the bondage to sin and the addictions and the things that they were facing, but he, he was impelled to action. And I think it's beautiful that the God of the universe, as he looked out on this crowd, he didn't just look at them and said, I feel your pain, but I'm a transcendent and a distant God that's far away, so I can't do much about it. And he wasn't the kind of God that looked at the crowd and saw the broken relationships and the, and the addictions and the bondage to sin and said, you know what, I feel your pain, but I'm not going to do anything about it. See, Matthew reveals to us the inner urge within our Savior. And that urge was to see the lostness around him and to be driven to action. Now, there's two things that we're told um, caused the compassion within Jesus. And it's interesting because the two Greek words are, are actually wonderfully picturesque. The first word is this. It's, it says, um, he, he had compassion on the crowds. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. Now, that word harassed there, it's an interesting Greek word. In order to understand this Greek word, you need to turn on the Discovery Channel. 
Now, I hope you're discovery folks like I am. I love the Discovery Channel. And if I'm flipping through the channels and I get to uh, the channel and, and I see like um, peaceful music and the grass, there's tall grass and there's a little antelope in the tall grass. And he's eating and he's walking, minding his own business, you know, eating, eating low grass, enjoying himself, you know. And then all of a sudden the camera pans over here and you hear little drums, you know, it's like... That doesn't sound like drums. But you know, drums begin beating, and, you, and the camera, and, and in the tall grass, hidden in the grass, you see shoulder blades of a cat, right? And there's this leopard, or a cougar, or a cheetah, or a lion. And, and you see this cat, and he's stalking that animal, right? And then the camera pans back to the antelope, and then, you know, calm music, you know... And then it goes back to the cat. And then David Attenborough describes to us, you know, what the cat is thinking and what the antelope is not thinking. And then all of a sudden the drums get closer and the peaceful music. And then all of a sudden the cat takes off, right? And it takes off super fast. And, and the antelope is like, what? And he looks and he, he starts taking off. And, and most of the time, David Attenborough lets the antelope get away, right? And, and uh, it's like, and, and she will feed again another time. But in that picture, and we've all seen that, in that picture is, is the idea of harassed, in this, this Greek word harassed. It literally means to be hunted down. It's that feeling of terror that you get, that you know that your life is about ready to be consumed. It's that fear that that antelope was feeling as soon as it woke. It was minding its own business. It was enjoying some wonderful grass. And then all of a sudden, its day was ruined. Why? Because it became harassed by the leopard. And what Jesus saw in that crowd is he saw the way that sin and the fallenness of this world was literally hunting people down. We kind of intrinsically understand that, do we not? Because each and every one of us have a sin that hunts us. And if we're not careful, it will harass us in a way that will end horribly for us. We've all known relatives that have given in to sin or loved ones who have been harassed and hunted down by temptation until they've literally ruined their lives and their relationships with other people. And we've seen it time and time. It's, it's one of the reasons I think, Pastor, why you guys have a biblical counseling ministry here in Orangeville, because the people in the, the community of Orangeville is being harassed by sin, Right? And Jesus saw the way sin was hunting people down in the crowd and it impelled him to action. He said, I, listen, I can't just do nothing about what sin is doing to these people because it's stalking them like a lion. What does the scripture say? That Satan prowls around like a lion, right? seeking whom he may, what class? Devour. Not just hassle. 
Satan doesn't want to hassle you. Sin doesn't want to hassle you. You know what sin wants to do? It wants to devour you. Jesus had this inner impelling to action when he saw the harassedness of the crowd. And then that's not the only word because there's another word. It says he saw the crowd and they were harassed and they were helpless. Greek word literally means scattered or thrown out. It's, it's a word that has used other places in the New Testament uh, to spread seed. Um, the idea is like this is, is this, is that seed is, is dead and unless it's spread out like that, it, it won't come to life. And, and the idea is seed being thrown down and, and spread and planted, okay? But the word also came to mean like thrown down or helpless, helpless to, to stop this throwing down process. In other words, kind of the word picture that exists in this word is that Jesus saw the people, and not only were they being hunted by the sin of this world, but the sin was actually throwing people down. Their lives were helplessly cast down because of sin and temptation in this world. And so it's not only like a hunting, but it's also... There, there's a sense of loss. There's a sense of helplessness. There's a sense of, of people being thrown down. It, um, it reminds me of uh, one of the people groups that we have a missions uh, team at. One of the, uh, Martha and I had a chance to go to um, the Gambia in West Africa. And in the Gambia, there's a wall of people there. And the Wolof people are notoriously hard to lead to Christ. And we've had missions teams reaching the, the Wolof people for almost 30 years. Very, very few Wolof people have come to Christ. And the reason is because the Wolof people are one of the peoples that the slave traders of 200 years ago, 300 years ago, the slave traders decimated that people group. And after slave was illegal in the United States and England and slavers stopped coming to the Wolof people, uh, Islam came through and Islamist slavers came through and continued to devastate that people and steal from that people and, and, and take slaves from that people. This is a people group for literally hundreds and hundreds of years who have been hunted down and harassed and thrown down. And today, this people group still struggles with that identity. They still struggle trusting a, a Western missionary. They still struggle trusting anyone from outside of the wall of people to tell them anything that's true. Why? Because they've been harassed and helpless and hurting and thrown down. But the very thing that makes that people group unique is the very reason why our missionaries are impelled to action because they've seen how that people group has been thrown down. They've seen how they've been helpless. They see how that people group is hurting and experiencing hundreds of years later consequences of other people's sin. And I share that with you again because Jesus is spurred to action. And it's interesting what Jesus' action is here in the passage. And uh, I'm going to 
uh, I, I just want us to make the turn with Jesus because uh, I love the passage because it describes what Jesus felt and what he saw. We, we see that he had compassion, this understanding of the pain of the crowd mixed with action and this impelling, this, this inner desire to relieve their suffering comes because he saw the way that they were harassed and helpless. But what Jesus does next to ease their pain is interesting to me. Because if I, this passage comes right after the passage where Jesus is in the boat and the storm comes up. Remember that story, right? Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. A big storm comes up and the disciples are really scared and and they wake Jesus up and Jesus steps up to the bow of the boat and he raises his hands and he says, peace be still. And what happens to the waters? They're calmed, right? I love that story. Wonderful story of how Jesus has incredible power over creation. If I was writing Matthew's gospel, I would have been like, okay, this is what Jesus did. You know, he saw their, their harassed and helpless people. He had compassion on them. And he raised his hands, stood at the bow of the boat, raised his hands, and he said, all of you be healed. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he does something very interesting because the passage tells us that he turned to his disciples. And for some reason, in the sovereign, redemptive plan of our God, Jesus has chosen to relieve the suffering of the masses in front of him, he has chosen to include his disciples in that process. I don't understand it. I don't know why it's good for us to be involved. I don't know why he's included when he could have done it all himself. I I believe he could have done it himself, but in his redemptive plan from the foundations of this world, a part of God's plan for relieving the suffering, and listen, this is impelling from within him. This is an urgency that he feels to relieve the suffering and to meet the needs and to take the helpless and the thrown down people and to relieve their suffering with the good news of of the gospel, but he doesn't do it himself. He turns to his disciples, and what does he say? He turns to them, and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This baffles me because what Jesus, he turns to his disciples, so somehow God is in his redemptive plan and said, my my disciples are going to be a part of me relieving the suffering of the lostness of this world. They're going to be included. Now, I get that. I buy that. But if I was writing this passage, I would have said, now it's time to take out the clipboard. Okay, I would have been like, okay, um, he turns to his disciples and he says, uh, um, he turns to them, I would have said, turn to them, okay, um, guys, there's a lot of lostness out here, I see it, we need sign-ups right now. So we're gonna, Dave, we're gonna sign up, right, you know, here's, take the clipboard, pass it around, we're gonna pass the clipboard around, I want you all to sign up to be long-term missionaries. We're gonna serve with, uh, with Rory and Christy Moore, we're gonna send you all over there, you're gonna do hydroponics and a, and a deaf blind... 
I, I would have done the sign-up. Listen, I was a pastor for 30 years. I'm good at sign-ups. <laughs> but again, for some reason, in the plan, the redemptive plan of God formed before the foundations of the world, God decided to include disciples and the work that he asked disciples to do was to pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. In other words, he didn't send mission speakers out to, send, to, to do guilt trips on you. It's not my job to create little missionaries out of you by doing guilt trips on you. It's my job to plead with you, church, to pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. To pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. You see, I don't know who God is calling into missions. I don't know who God has gifted with gifts to be able to go into all the nations and proclaim the gospel, but you do. One of the things I travel around the country and I, when I talk to missions committees, I tell them this. If you, if, you don't, if you do one thing, this is what I would ask that you do. Every single time your missions committee meets, would you go through your congregational list and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, who are the people that are gifted for ministry in our church? And to begin praying for them. And after you've prayed for them for a year, begin having this conversation with them. Dave, we see gifts of ministry in you. We just want you to know as a missions committee, we've been praying for you for a year. And we want you to know that if you took steps towards missions, we would support you. Can you imagine being a 16-year-old young man and having that conversation with leaders and elders of the church? We see gifts of ministry in you, and if you began taking steps towards ministry, we would be behind you. That's not guilt. That's praying the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 13, when the first two missionaries were sent out, Paul and Barnabas are sent out, it happened when the church was gathered together and they were worshiping and they were praying together and the Holy Spirit separated out, the passage says, separated out Paul and Barnabas and called them to go into the nations and begin planting churches. And the entire rest of the church gathered around Paul and Barnabas, laid hands on them and sent them out. I don't see any guilt trips in that passage at all. What I see is worship and prayer happening and the Holy Spirit calling people out from a, a local church. Orangeville, I don't think you need more sermons, more mission guilt trip sermons. But I do think what we need is to have this inner compassion I think the enemy of missions is a lack of urgency. What did Jesus say? Pray earnestly, the Lord of the harvest. That word earnestly there means beg and plead with God. It's not a sense of, well, let's have a prayer meeting and let's, let's, let's pray. 
The idea is getting on our knees and pleading with the Lord of the harvest to send laborers in the field. Lord, who are you raising up within Orangeville? Who are you calling? Who have you gifted for ministry? Who, who, if they were to go to a foreign land, would have an easy time of learning the language? They would adapt to the culture readily. They've got gifts of evangelism and teaching and, and administration. And they would be able to lead a team and serve a team. And Lord, you've already gifted them. Lord of the harvest, would you send them into the field? This is, what, this is the urgency that Jesus is calling his disciples to. I would have just done the clipboard. I think it would have saved a lot of steps. But not our Lord. And so Orangeville, my challenge for us this morning is very simple. I told you at the very beginning, I, when that light hits my eyes in the morning, something awakens in me that I can't turn off. My prayer for you this morning is that once you understand this, that it isn't about guilting people into missions, it's not about guilting people into giving to missions. Support your faith promise, but don't do it out of guilt. Do it out of compassion for what's going on in this sin-downcast world. And my prayer is that, that the Holy Spirit would awaken something in you that won't let you fall back asleep. Won't allow you to not pray for the lost. Won't allow you to not pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And that would be a regular prayer on your heart and mind. If you look at my phone, I've got an alarm set on my phone. And um, it's an alarm that's set at 9.38, Matthew 9.38, which is the passage, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And if you look right there, 9.38 a.m., I have an alarm set, and that alarm goes off. I didn't do it this morning because that would be a little obnoxious for you during Sunday school. But 9.38 a.m., I'm reminded to pray the Lord of the harvest every single day to send laborers into the field. Don't need a clipboard. You just need to pray. Don't need another guilt trip. You need to pray. And know that when you pray and when God raises up laborers to the field, organizations like ours will be there to be a part of it and to help you and to support you and to love you through a process as you send missionaries into the field. Father, we love you. Thank you that someone saw our lostness. Every single person in this room who knows you as Savior, someone came alongside of us and saw our lostness and did something about it. They were impelled or moved to action, had compassion on us, enough to share the gospel with us. And, and Lord, I pray that you would raise up from within Orangeville Baptist Church just... Lord, we know you've raised up missionaries in the past, but Father, we pray to you, Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the field from Orangeville. 
Lord, that the nations would know there is a small little town in West Michigan that sends forth laborers into the field. That you would gift young men and young women in this church with gifts of ministry and you would send them out. Lord, would you create this impelling within us to have compassion for the lost world and and to send them well and to support them well and to pray for them well. And Lord, may this church be known for all of eternity as a church that was faithful to go and make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Paul. Also, in light of a message like that, here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to take just two or three minutes. We've done this before, but just going to take two or three minutes. Sit there by yourself or pray with the family around you. Uh, We're going to pray to the Lord of the harvest to do exactly what we just heard. Right? I think that's the perfect response uh, to that message. Let's let's put it into action. Let's let's pray for the Lord to do that. Uh, So we're going to do that. As as we're praying, also I'm going to invite. Uh, Chuck and Penny, if you could be in the, that room to my right, and Merlin and Nancy, could you be in the room to my left? Uh, they're available for counseling, uh, if the Lord's working in your heart, and maybe you've, by the Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, have recognized uh, you feel harassed and helpless under the power of sin. Oh, today is the day of salvation. If you have questions about what that means to be rescued from the power of sin, uh, these, these individuals would love to meet with you, talk with you, pray with you. Maybe the Lord's working on your heart that uh, you believe the Lord is sending you and you want to know how to do that or what that's about or you just need prayer and direction. What, whatever it might be, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to either go to the room to my right or the room to my left and seek help, seek encouragement, seek prayer. Uh, that's, that's why we're here this morning, right? Uh, so please, uh, please don't hesitate to do that. But we're just going to take two or three minutes, pray by yourself, pray with your wife, pray with your family. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out an army of servants, and then in two or three minutes, the worship team will lead us in song.